Good morning, everyone. Good morning. We are here at the end of January in 2021, right? How many of you smelled snow when you came into the church today? I don't mean into the building. I guess came to church today. Anyone? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Snow has a specific smell. There is snow on the way. I walked outside today and I thought, wow, the snow is getting ready to come. And um, who knows what we're going to get. I just want to give a shout out to God to allow it happening on Sunday evening into Monday as opposed to Saturday evening into Sunday. And that seems to be the trend many times that, you know, over the years we've looked at the weather forecast and we say, oh, no, it's starting to come. Oh, it's Saturday again. What are we going to do for Sunday morning? So, God, thank you for allowing the snow to come tonight as opposed to last night. And for all of us that are going to either be snowed in or kids that are not going to be in school, um, some kids aren't in school anyway, except for virtual, um, or people that can't go to work, listen, make sure you get plenty of bread and plenty of, plenty of milk and pl- plenty of eggs, because for some reason, snow and French toast always go together. So anyway, that's my little free plug to you this morning. Thank you for joining us this morning. And uh, it is it's a pleasure to be here. You know, I, I don't really know. Um, let me back up a little bit and just say this. For those of you that were excited to come to Baptism Sunday today, um, we are not having any baptisms this morning, okay? We had no one that actually said that they wanted to take that step and be baptized during this month. And, and that's for different reasons, for different people. Sometimes uh, no one is ready to take that step. And other, other times, you know, for example, all church gathering, that might bring a little bit of anxiety to somebody when they talk about lots of people in one place. Um, the idea of being in a tub uh, in a church building during COVID is not something that everybody is thrilled with. Um, but here's what I want you to know. If you are a follower of Christ, if you've made a decision to follow Jesus, we see in Scripture that the very next step you see consistently in the New Testament is the outward demonstration of what God has done in your heart. You do not need to be qualified to be water baptized. God doesn't say, well, when you made a decision to follow uh, my son as Lord and Savior, once you're good enough in the process, then you can get baptized. No, the baptism is our moment to say, God's doing something in my life, the outward demonstration of what God already began to do in my life. So I'm telling you that because there's been a mindset that people need to relearn sometimes, and water baptism is the very next step. I'm sharing that with you because you may be on that fence, or you might know someone who's on that fence. Uh, Well, we offer it the end of every month here at Bridge, and we're going to continue to offer it because it is one of the greatest experiences, not just to do as an individual, but to celebrate as a church. So if that's you, or you know someone who needs to be or wants to be water baptized, the end of February, we will have another opportunity for them as well. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Romans chapter 7. Um, Romans chapter 7. We are in the second half of Romans 7 today, and we are right in the middle, almost at the halfway mark in the book of Romans. Can you believe that? We're almost at the halfway mark. This series is going to continue, in case you haven't done the math, uh, because you don't know how many weeks we're doing, through the end of June. We're going to stay through the book of Romans. And I can tell you... Um, First off, Romans is a very deep, rich book to go through in Scripture. It is one of the, I'm sorry, it is the most theologically deep book in Scripture. And it's something that we need to be mindful of. I was thinking about this over the last couple of weeks, and I'm neglected to say this in some of the services. Keep in mind that when the Apostle Paul wrote this book, he wrote it to Christians in the center of Rome. The Roman Empire was vast. He wrote it to the Christians in Rome. He wrote it to them to teach them what it means to walk as a follower of Christ. You see, there was no Bible as we understand the Bible. 
There was the Old Testament scriptures that the Jewish people would follow, but there were no scriptures the way that we understand. There was no theological um, headquarters that people could go to. Most of their faith was word of mouth or what they've heard or, you know, different things that were said by different people. And Paul took all of the truth of what the gospel was and condensed it and put it together into 16 chapters. And he says some things in this book that is foundational. In fact, everything you need to know, honestly, about the foundational components of living a Christian life, about justification, about the work of Christ in relation to sin, how to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, how to treat others, and how to live underneath the reign of governing authorities. These are all part of the book of Romans. And I'm sharing this with you because keep in mind, this book was written somewhere in the 60s, 65, 66 AD. Most people believe it's in that range. Just a few years before the greatest persecution came to the New Testament church. When Nero was on the scene and he began persecuting Christians and the Christian church, people were getting murdered. People were getting crucified. The church was under incredible persecution. And this was written just a few years before that really began. I'm sharing that with you because there's something powerful about having deep roots. I have a tree on the side of my yard. It is a pine tree. I have a couple pine trees. I I didn't plant them. They were there when we moved here 17 years ago, and they were much smaller than they are now. One of them, for some reason, has been tilting over the last four or five years, and it keeps tilting a little bit more every time we get a heavy wind or a storm that comes through. The only reason why that tree hasn't fallen down is because it has seriously deep and strong roots. And I want you to hear that today, that when oppression comes, when struggles come, when persecution comes to individuals or to the church, the depths of our roots will determine if we fall or if we stand. And that's why we're continuing to do this. So as I'm going through the pieces that I teach on, and and I'm excited because um, we have our staff rotating and our elders rotating through this, but every week that I go through this, I have two thoughts. One, I go, what is he saying? I have to go through and I have to read it and reread it and study and pull out every book that I can figure out. What does this really mean? Let's, let's boil this down. But the second thing I always think is, this is really good stuff. Wow, this is good stuff. I can't wait. I, I want to jump up and down and talk about it. But I'm not going to do it, jump up and down. But I am going to talk about it. So anyway, Romans chapter 7. We're in the second half of Romans. And I'm really excited to talk to you about this because we're getting ready to turn a corner into some of the most exciting part of the scripture that I believe is there. Today we're talking about what I call the battle within us. The battle within us. If you think about the world that we live in, there are two different types of battles that we deal with. There are two types of battles that we deal with. The first battle is a battle that takes place outside ourselves. The second battle is that which takes place inside ourselves. So when we talk about the battle within us, The battle I'm talking about is those maybe that are outside or those that are inside. There's no other alternative. We're either fighting fights or wars outside of us, or we are fighting fights or wars inside of us. And a few examples of this battle might be like this. A few examples of battles that take place outside ourselves would be the battles of Alexander the Great, who conquered most of the known world 300 years before Christ. Or the two world wars of the 20th century. Or many of the wars that lasted over the last 3,400 years that have been documented in our world. Those are battles and examples of battles that took place outside of ourselves. Then there are battles and wars that take place within ourselves. 
These are called civil wars, and we're familiar with the term civil wars. Historically, they last longer and are more frequent than international wars, and they can be more deadly. Now, the most well-known civil war that we're probably familiar with in the United States is the American Civil War. It lasted for four years, and more recent estimates report that it claimed the lives of almost 750,000 soldiers, in addition to an undetermined number of civilians. That war accounted for more American military deaths than all other U.S. wars involves, all other U.S. involved wars combined until the Vietnam War. From the American Revolution to the Korean War, the Civil War claimed more lives. And if you wonder, 700,000 people are a lot of people, consider this. The country's population back then was 31 million people. Today, people are outraged over the deaths of 400,000 people due to COVID with a population of over 325 million. 700,000 people were, were, were killed as a result of the Civil War when our country's population was a tenth of what it is today. I'm sharing this with you because the focus of our last few messages in Romans have been on sin and its effects on our lives. Early in Romans, Paul tells us that sin is the reason why we have become spiritually dead. If you were here or you've been tracking with us in chapter 6, we talked about sin and the significance of sin and how sin brings death, but God brings forgiveness through grace. And in chapter 6, he makes this flip to say, just because God's grace is strong doesn't mean we should allow sin to get to get strong in our lives. Just because God's sin or God's grace is great doesn't mean sin should increase. It should be the opposite. The grace of God increases and the sin decreases in our lives. In chapter 6, we also begin to describe the freedom that we have in Christ. That the freedom that we have in Christ separates us from sin. So we are no longer slaves to sin, but we can now be slaves to God. And this is something that's been sitting with me for for weeks since we've been talking about that, that there is no third option in the world that we live in. We're either a slave to sin or we are a slave to righteousness and a slave to God. There's no scenario that we see in scripture where God says, I've delivered you from sin so you can live with your, you can live for yourself. I've delivered you from sin so that you can live for the one who created you. That's the beauty of the gospel. So we can be a slave to sin or we can be a slave to righteousness. And that's what we saw in six and the first half of chapter seven. And in the second half of chapter seven, Paul starts talking about the reality. The reality of attention we all can understand. It's the reality of the battle that continues within us, not external, but internal. And it can be the most deadly kind of battle for a follower of Christ. So if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to look at Romans chapter 7, verses 14 to 25. And I want you to just pretend you don't see what's on the slide right there because we're not close to that right now. Okay, but I want you to understand this. This is one of the most controversial controversial, difficult passages for us to understand in scripture. There are a few different opinions about who the apostle Paul is writing about. We don't really know who he's writing about. People believe it's usually one of two different people who Paul is really talking about. He's either talking about himself or he's talking about someone else. He's either talking about a God-fearing man who loves God and follows his law and hasn't been changed by Christ. That's an unsaved person. 
before they've had a relationship with Christ, or he's talking about the God-fearing man who loves God, who follows his law because of the salvation they've received through faith in Jesus Christ. Depending on how you look at it, the first man is motivated by legalism or the rules, and the second man is motivated by relationship. No one really knows exactly who Paul is talking about. And this has been an argument um, across theological lines for as long as the scriptures have been here. Who is it really about? We don't confidently know. The unsaved, unregenerate, or the saved, uh, renewed person. The person who follows legalism and rules or the person who follows relationship with God. We don't really know. Most believe it's referring to Paul after he began following Jesus. And that makes a lot of sense to me as well, because it would then agree with the message we see in the Old Testament, which is this. At times, sin can still win in the midst of our human struggles because God's work of redemption has not yet been fully realized until sin is forever destroyed from the world. So I think it makes sense if Paul's looking at this, that he's saying, this is about me after I have been saved. And he's talking about a struggle that is mirrored to what the Old Testament actually says about that. Some people call it the already not yet. When you're a follower of Christ, you begin to become changed in the inside. The kingdom of God is now here, but we still have this this body that we have to deal with. This sinful, fleshly body. And our bodies like sin. I mean, mine mine does. I'm just being honest. Maybe I'm alone in that. I don't think I am. But our bodies are used to it. Our bodies are in a sinful condition, and we struggle with that. But we live in this regenerate world where our bodies are saying, I want one thing, and our spirits have been regenerated and saying, no, but I belong to someone else. So Paul talks about this struggle. But here's the thing I want you to hear as we walk through this. Knowing who this is really about has no bearing on us applying the purpose of the text. So whether you believe it applies to the unregenerate man or, the, or the, the saved person has no bearing on what we can learn from this text. And it begins in verse 14. So I want to begin in verse 14 where Paul begins telling us three things we need to know about the battles we fight against sin. Three things we need to remember, okay, as we fight the battles within us. Number one, and here we go, the struggle is real. The struggle is real. It is a real struggle that we deal with as we look at the fight from good and evil. And Paul begins talking about this in Romans chapter 7, verse 14. Look what he says. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I love his candor. The apostle Paul was more qualified than any of us, I believe, will ever be. More educated. He understood the scriptures. He had probably most of the Old Testament memorized. He knew the law. He calls himself without fault in regard to the law in Philippians chapter 3. And he says, the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human. I am a slave to sin. Where is the problem, Paul is saying, in this whole issue with sin? Right here. The problem is right here. The problem is me. It's not someone else. It's not the world around me. It's not just something I am unable to do because I just can't overcome it. The problem is in me. And he references in verse 8, he references verse 8, where sin was used, he said in verse 8, 
or uh, I'm sorry, sin used the law to arouse the sinful desires in me. If you were here last week or you watched last week, you remember that big do not enter sign that I had on the stage. And the whole point of what we were trying to say is when the law is presented to us, we have one or two, one of two decisions, follow the law or break the law. And many times there's a part of our hearts when we see a law that says, don't do this, that we fold our arms and say, I'm going to do that. What is that in us? Paul's showing us the problem is not God. The problem isn't just sin. The problem is us. Because when we see the law, there's a part of us that wants to disobey the law. Even after salvation, though, given a new identity and being a new creation, he says this in 2 Corinthians 5.17, for anyone who's in Christ is a new creation, I still have the same body, and my body knows all about sin. I still have the same body. When I made a decision to follow Christ, yes, I was younger. I was shorter. I had a whole lot more hair. It's still the same body. It's still the same body that I've struggled with things over my life. Or the sinfulness around me still wants to tempt and woo me. And I think we can relate to that. And I think this is where scripture is so relevant that we have to understand that there is a battle that continues to wage against us, even when we are followers of Christ. Paul moves on to say in verse 15, I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I think this is really important for us to understand because he draws a difference here, but it's important for us to understand. The struggle is real. Okay, the struggle is real. But in 17, he says, so I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. He does not define himself by sinfulness. Got to hear this. When we are new in Christ, we have a new identity. We sang this song earlier, right? I am chosen. When the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. There is a new identity. He has claimed us for himself and we are a new creation. You may be tempted to sin, but you are not just a sinner. There's a difference between an identity and an identification or a label that is just defining something versus something that is setting your future, if that makes sense. I may tell a lie, but I'm not a liar. I may struggle with something. It doesn't mean that's what I have become. No, what I've become is a follower of God. What I've become is a follower of Christ. And just like he said in chapter six, remember, just because that transformation has taken place does not give us carte blanche to continue to sin. It should do the exact opposite. We should be running from sinful things, not just throwing our hands up in defeat. But our creation is brand new. We're a new creation, and it's not me that's doing it. It's sin living in me. So the struggle is real, and it's important for you to understand, and it's important for me to understand that the sign of a changed life, first and foremost, is recognizing that what we're doing is not acceptable. Think about this. If you look at what the gospel says and what the scriptures actually say, we don't even know we're dead when we're spiritually dead. 
How can we know the difference in righteousness versus sinfulness when we don't have a relationship with Christ? I've heard people say, I've heard people say, you can know the difference and not walk in it. True. But if you're dead in your sin, if you're spiritually dead in your sin, how do you even know the difference between goodness and sinfulness? The root cause of the wrong is sin. And it's a spiritual problem, not a physical one. And if we are spiritually dead, how can we understand the difference? So I'm telling you this this morning because when we get to next week, when we get to walking in the spirit and we start talking about the spirit and how the spirit testifies with our spirit that we belong to God, it's such a great passage and I'm not going to be teaching it, but it's so exciting to hear what Paul says about that. People say, how do I really know I'm saved? Because the spirit has made you new inside. It's not your sin that disqualifies you from ongoing relationship with God. It's your response to your sin that disqualifies you from ongoing relationship with God. If you look in the Old Testament, you see David. He was the king of Israel, right? A man after God's own heart. And depending on how you looked at him, you could say, this guy was a man after God's own heart. Wait a minute. Wasn't he the guy that killed people? Yeah. Wasn't he the guy that murdered some guy? Wasn't he the adulterer? Wasn't he the prideful guy? Yes, 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 yes. You go down the list on who David was, but if you go to Psalm 51, you see someone that says, I have sinned before God. Take not your presence and your Holy Spirit from me. In humility, he recognized when he crossed the line, his heart was regenerated because he was a follower of God, not of himself. So I share that with you this morning because it's important for us to recognize you might see the struggle is real. I might recognize the struggle is real. But if you made a decision to follow Christ and to be a follower of Christ, it's that regenerate spirit that shows you what is right and what is wrong. And there are times in my life where I may fall or I may sin and I can't excuse it, but I know it's not God's will. And I know it's not God's plan. And my response needs to be to run to him. And not run away from him. To respond to the conviction, not feel condemned. That's what we need to do. We need to walk in the power of his spirit because the struggle is real. The second thing we need to remember as we look at this today, not just that the struggle struggle is real, but in verse 18, we are powerless to win the battle in our own strength. You and I are absolutely powerless to win this battle in our own strength. There are so many things we can try to do in this world in our own strength. The world tells us, I mean, especially living in this country, what can't we do in this country? I mean, I'm amazed at the technological advancements that we've seen just in the last hundred years. Think about that. Think about the fact that we were able to, and this is not me because I still don't know how they do this, but in the 60s, a president could make a declaration that by the end of the decade, or as John F. Kennedy said, the decade, we would have a man on the moon. With technology today that is a whole lot less complicated than the phone that's in my hand. And yet we were able to send men 225,000 miles off our planet to land on a rock that's not made of cheese, in case any of you believe, it's actual rock, and they drove around with the rover. Now, some of you are like, did they really do that? Hey, conspiracy theorists, I love you, but 
Go read history. Um, this happened, okay? There are great videos of people driving around and thinking, that is amazing. What can't we do? In fact, if you really think about it, we use that as a marker to say, why can't we do anything else in this world? We can put a man on the moon, but we can't fill in the blank. What can't we do? The ingenuity of man, the wisdom of man, the understanding and the desire of man to conquer things. It's incredible, isn't it? We've been created to do incredibly difficult things. Yet when it comes to the battle within, we are powerless to win it in our own strength. It's important for you to know that. And it's important for me to know that. I cannot do the thing that's required of me if I am putting my strength in myself instead of in God. Look at verse 18. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. Paul says, I want to do what is right, but I what? Can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I want to do what is wrong. I'm sorry. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is the sin living in me that does it. Now, I read that really slow because if you read it really fast, it'll just blow your mind. There's a lot of do's and don'ts and I want and I don't want. And I, what is this? So I read it really slow just so that we can break it down. And if I can break it down, what he's saying is I am big trouble. I am in big trouble if I am trying to figure out a life of righteousness in my own strength. I cannot be righteous on my own. I cannot conquer spiritual problems with physical tools. We may be slaves to a new master. We may be slaves to a new master, friends, but we still live behind enemy lines. We need to remember that. And the enemy never rests. I think about the hope that people put in our governments and our leaders. And I'm reminded on a weekly basis now with my wife working in the public school system. And day after day after day, she sees kids coming into her class or into her room to talk through things as she counsels with them. And day after day, I hear story after story after story. And can I tell you, it has nothing to do with their economic status. It has nothing to do with their parental background. And what I mean by that is these are the only kinds of kids that she sees. No, they can have parents that are married, parents that are divorced. They can have two parents. They can have one parent. They can be incredibly wealthy or they can be homeless like some of the kids are that she's met. And the struggles that they deal with in this world are real. And our leaders around us tell us the answers are policies. The answers are programs. The answers are money and more resourcing, and more resourcing, and people get really good at just throwing money at problems. It doesn't fix anything if the main solution is money. The answer is never just money. We need to use resources to develop the right programs, resources to put things together to help kids that are really in need. We need the resources to do that, but we're fooling ourselves if we think investing in resources is going to actually change everything. Every president that I can remember from the time I was a little kid to today talks about the need to put more money in our school systems. Have you, you know what I'm talking about? Every president. And do we need, there are legitimate needs in some places. You hear stories of kids that come in and they don't even have any food to eat on their table. There are legitimate ways that we need to invest in things like that. We need to be doing that. But we fool ourselves if we think the answer is just if the government can give more money to these people, our solutions will go away. No way. No way. Do you know why? Because the issue is not physical. The issue is spiritual. 
The issue is sin. The issue is us as people thinking that we have the means of solving the problem when only God has the means of solving the problem. We need to start with him and stop just investing in the fruits and get back to the roots. Paul's discovery that we can all relate to in verse 21. Look at this. He says, I have discovered this principle of life. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. 21, he said, when I want to do right, I inevitably do what is wrong. One translation says, when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. How many of us, if we're being gut honest in our hearts, can say, I understand that. I get that. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. You see, I believe we are at a war because sin will not give up the control over us that is lost when we came to faith in Jesus Christ. Do you know that? Do you know that sin refuses to give over the control over each one of us that was lost when we came to faith in Jesus Christ? Sin fights against the law of our minds. Because our mind is where we make our decisions and our moral judgments. We are prisoners of the law of sin at work with us, within us. We cannot resist our sinful nature on our own power or in our own power. When we try, we will always be defeated. That is why I believe so many times people struggle with the same sinfulness over and over and over again. They struggle over and over because the reason or the the solution that they see is them just trying harder. If we just try harder, we can be delivered from this sin and we can't resist the power of sin in our own nature. We can try, but we will always be defeated. I've heard some people say that people who profess being a Christian and they struggle with sin aren't really saved. Can I tell you if you believe that or you hear people believing that, that is not gospel truth. Just because someone struggles with sin does not mean that they are not a Christian. If that would be the case, it is not just the work of Christ on the cross that saves us. It's the work of Christ on the cross plus our works that save us. Now, I'm not going to disagree with the fact that there are people who are not genuinely saved. They think the gospel or following Christ is just checking off a box or, you know, coming to church periodically and they go, well, why do I struggle with all this stuff if I'm a Christian? I mean, I check the box and I send my tithe in and, and, and I'm a Christian, right? That doesn't mean that you're a Christian. I mean, one of my all time old school, famous favorite, um, musicians was Keith Green. And many of you don't even know who that is, but some of you do. And he always had this great quote that he said, Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. Just really raw. Well, hopefully that was cooked, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Just because you go somewhere, you do something doesn't mean that you're a Christian. So I think that there's a lot of truth to that, but we need to be careful when we're equating people that struggle with sinfulness and that they are no longer saved. That is bordering on legalism. And we need to be really careful about that because then it condemns people and they walk through their world and their life with condemnation. And I have seen over the last 12 years being a part of this church over and over again, people that walk into a church with their head hung because they've been pointed at, they've been judged, their fists have been up. And these aren't people that aren't 
followers of Christ many times. They've walked or they've struggled and they still deal with this. And the last thing they need to hear is someone look them straight in the face and say, you're not even a Christian if you deal with that. And there are people in this world that believe that. Yes, there are some that misunderstand what it means to become a follower of Christ and how they need to die to sin and live for Christ. I agree with that. And I do think there are people that have spent many years in the churches of this world believing that they're saved and they're really not. But the message we see in this passage, the message we see in this passage is that the struggle for Christ followers is real. And when we try to fight against sin on our own, we will fail. Listen, the scriptures aren't saying these powers are equal either, and that's important for us to remember. But it knows they are both there. We must do the same. One power must be resisted while, we, while, excuse me, while relying on the other. And when we fail to rely on Christ's strength for our daily strength, we are providing sin with more power over us. Sin's power, and this is so important, please hear me. Sin's power will never grow. It's relative, but our relative weakness will make it seem that way. What I'm saying is the weight or the burden of sin doesn't get heavier for those who are in Christ. We just get weaker when we don't follow Jesus. This is so important for us to understand. The weight of sin is overwhelming to those sometimes that feel like they're in Christ and and they just can't stand the weight and they can't stand the weight. Or why are there things that they were able to conquer weeks, months, or years ago, but today they can't? Sin is just that much more intense. Sin doesn't get stronger. We just get weaker spiritually. Jesus is the one that we allow to get weaker or stronger in our life through the power of his Holy Spirit. But sin wants us to believe. Sin wants us to believe that it has more control over us than it really has. There's a great illustration of this in the Old Testament. Some of you have heard about it in Exodus chapter 17 where the Israelites are coming to battle against some enemies, and they're called the Amalekites. And the Amalekites come and they attack the Israelites while they're in the wilderness. And Moses says to Joshua, who's the second in command, he says, take some men, choose them, go out and fight against the Amalekites. And, and Moses says, tomorrow I'm going to go up to the top of that hill over there, and I am going to stand with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua goes ahead and he does this and they begin fighting the Amalekites as Moses asked them to do. Moses goes on this mountain. He brings his, um, he brings his brother Aaron and he brings her, who's another leader of the tribe of Israel or the nation of Israel. And they stand at the top of the hill. Look what happens in verse 11 of Exodus 17. Scripture says, as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. Verse 12 says, when Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. You know what I love about this? What I love about the imagery of this is this is the posture of our heart to defeat sin. Think about it. When your hands are down, In this situation, you're in control. When your hands are down, strength and power comes from you or me. We are the ones that determine if we win or lose. But with our hands up, what are we saying? I surrender. What are we saying? I'm not in control. 
What do we say? It's not about me. I need God to fix the thing that needs to be fixed. My hands stay up because I am not able to do this in my own strength. I need God. I can't do it by myself. And he uses this. And it's such a beautiful image. We understand this in our world. We understand this. How do you disarm someone in this world? If you're a police officer, what's the first thing you do when you get them out of a vehicle or you go to a, to, go to a, um, a house or wherever you see someone that's a potential perpetrator? Hands up. Why? Because you disarm them with their hands up. When my children would come to me and they were young and they'd put their hands up, what would they say? They're saying, I need you. I want you. It's a beautiful picture we see in the Old Testament and it completely connects with what Paul is saying in the New. If we want to defeat sin, we cannot do it on our own. We need to do it through a greater source of power. And that doesn't come from ourselves. So remember, we are powerless to win the battle in our own strength. And the last thing I want to mention to you this morning is that our victory is guaranteed guaranteed through Jesus Christ. I want you to hear this, that our victory is guaranteed through Jesus Christ. Paul is so honest and, and raw. In verse 24, he says, oh, what a miserable person I am. And I, would, I can't wait to meet him one day and say, you were so wise and so talented and you were so gut honest. What a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? He asks a great question. I am unable to do it on my own. What does he say in verse 25? Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is in my mind. I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Friends, can I remind you this morning, the battles may continue through the work, but through the work of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, the war has already been won. We need to remember that. The battles may continue on this side of eternity where sin always wants to believe or wants us to believe that it can have more power over us than it really can. But the war has already been won. When Jesus hung on that cross and before he breathed his last breath, he said three powerful words that we need to remember for the rest of our days. It is finished. It is finished. Well, you could say, well, if it's finished, then we should not be a slave to sin anymore. True. We shouldn't deal with any sin anymore. Not true. Because though the work of destroying the power of sin was done at the cross, we still live in that middle time right now where we have the inner being regenerated and the outer that we still struggle with in this world. Again, no excuse, excuse me, no excuse for us to practice and habitually walk in sin. God calls us to run from it and grow, grow closer to him. But the solution and, the, and the, the, the way that we do that is not through our own struggles or not through our own power. It's through the power of Jesus Christ. That means we need to continue to fight. You need to continue to fight. I need to continue to fight. We must never underestimate sin's power and we must never attempt to fight sin in our own strength. Because Satan is clever. He is a tempter. Peter says in, the, in, in, uh, in 1 Peter, he says, the enemy is like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. In the Gospel of Luke, the tempter left Jesus after the 40 days in the wilderness until an opportune time. He's always looking for ways to bring us down. And we can be experts at making excuses why we can't be victorious over sin. I wonder if you can, exp- if you can experience that or if you experienced that. Can you relate to that? Things sometimes that we've never been able to overcome or we don't think we can, so we make excuses 
because we can't be victorious over sin. Instead of trying to overcome sin with human willpower, we need to take hold of the power of Christ that is available to each one of us through his Holy Spirit. This is God's provision for victory over sin. He sends the Holy Spirit to live in us and to give us power. And when we fail, he lovingly reaches out to help us up. Remember, just because the war has been won doesn't mean that the battles are over. Going back to my illustration in the beginning of this message when I talked about the American Civil War, it was on January 1st, 1863, the President Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation. As a nation, it was approaching our third year of a bloody civil war. The proclamation declared this, that all persons held as slaves within the rebellious states are and henceforth shall be free. That's what it said. But the last Confederate soldiers didn't surrender for two years after the declaration on April 1865. And news of the freedom that was given to them two and a half years earlier didn't reach the last black slaves until June 19th. 1865. Think about that. Two and a half years after the proclamation was made in this country that you are free, the battle waged on. Freedom was proclaimed, but those who were set free didn't even know it. And I wonder sometimes when we look at ourselves, has the declaration been made that we are free from the power of sin? But we still think we're slaves. We still walk as slaves. The message hasn't gotten to us. Because we're trying to do this in our own strength. We're trying to do this in our own power. And when we fail, we become condemned. And then sometimes even good intentioned people or believers try to, try to tell us the reason for that is that here's the problem. Or the problem is not just us, but maybe we don't know Jesus. Or maybe, and we come up with all these different reasons. And Paul says the main reason why we continue to fail is because we're doing something in our own strength that God never intended it for us to do. Because he did it on the cross. He gave us the regenerated spirit through his Holy Spirit. And by trusting in the spirit and letting the spirit fill us and walking in the power of the spirit, we can overcome a sinful life. Now you might be here this morning saying, that's great, but what does it mean to walk in the spirit? And I'm glad you asked. Because next month, we're spending the entire month looking at chapter 8. Chapter 8 is walking in the spirit of God. How can you walk in the power of the spirit of God? It might sound like a trite phrase that people use sometimes, but it is absolutely 100% true. The walking in the power of the spirit first is going to begin with our identity to remember who we really are. And then we're going to see example after example of what walking in the spirit looks like and how we can be victorious over sin because Jesus took the place of us on the cross. So let me ask you this morning, our worship team is going to prepare to close in just a few moments, but can I ask you just a few questions before we get started or we wrap up today? Number one, are you a follower of Jesus? That's the first question. Can I ask you, if you're a follower of Christ, then, then you are already in the right direction to overcome and be victorious over sin. If you're not a follower of Christ, the scriptures are very clear. Those who are not in Christ are dead to their sin, are, are alive in their sin, and they're slaves to their sin. And those that don't know Jesus don't even understand the righteous truth. They can't. And people can hear me say that and think that's judgmental or condemning or why would you say that? It's the word of God. 
And we can say the word of God with pointed fingers or clenched fists, or we can say the word of God with open hands. And this morning, I say to all of you, whether you're here or you're online, if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, you are unable to overcome the power of sinfulness in your life because you don't know the difference between walking in sin and walking in life. It begins with understanding and a relationship with Christ. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ today? If the answer is no, choose today to follow Christ. Declare him as your Lord and Savior. Make a decision and the presence and the power of God will make you new and the journey begins. But maybe you are a follower of Jesus this morning who struggles with sin in your life. And I'm not here to point out what that sin is. I'm not here to tell you what the root of it is. I'm not here to do any of that. I'm just asking you if you know there's something in your life that you struggle with. Do you know that you are spiritually free? Do you know? You might say, well, I've heard about that. I've read that. No, there's a difference between knowing you're free and living as you're free. Do you know that you're spiritually free? Do you know that the power that you need to overcome the victory or to overcome the the oppression of sin is available to you and available to me through walking in the spirit of Jesus Christ? Because the war has been won, but the battles still wage on. Remember, my friends, this morning that the struggle is real. Remember that we are powerless to win the battle in our own strength. And remember that our victory is guaranteed through Jesus Christ. The world wants us to think, and this is how I grew up thinking about it, because every cartoon I watched that talked about morality seemed to have this image that there are two people that sit on our shoulders, two presences or influences. There's a little angelic me with a halo. You know what I'm talking about? And then on the other side, there's a little evil me. And he's got a pitchfork and he's red and he's, he's trying to get me to do bad things. And as a kid, I remember thinking and growing up going, wow, like there's the good part of me and there's the bad part of me. And they're both fighting each other, trying to persuade me to do right or do wrong. And, and I look at that and I think, I understand what the point is that they're trying to make, but that totally, it's a corrupted, perverted view of who we are in Christ. Because that image tells me that I am the one that's most powerful. And I either choose what this one gives me or choose what this one gives me. Because they're both equal in power. But that's not the truth. They're both not external forces trying to influence us. No, the only external force that tries to influence you and me is the power of sin. Because if you remember a few weeks ago when you were here, we have a new birth record in Christ. I belong to Christ. Like my daughter belongs to my wife and I. Like this record says she is part of my family and will always be part of my family. She belongs to us. We can't possess her. But can I tell you, we understand this. Any one of us that have ever had a child in a public school or any school system, and we feel like they're being improperly treated, or they're getting a raw deal. I mean, you see like mama bears and papa bears like come out of people. It can be pretty scary. You know, they call themselves advocates, but sometimes they're just, you know, parent zillas. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Why do we do that? 
Why do we do that? I mean, it's not justification for us to be rude or disrespectful, but to advocate, why do we advocate? Because they're our kid. And my child is my child, and I am responsible for their well-being more than the school is responsible for their well-being. I am responsible for their growth and their development and their health more than the school is responsible for their growth, their development, and their health. And I know that intrinsically in my heart. Intuitively, I know that because they are my children. Can I tell you when Jesus looks at us and he sees sin trying to creep into our lives and control us and say, look how powerful, he sees the birth record. He reminds us through his Holy Spirit that you're my kid. And the spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that I've deposited in each of you. The spirit that brought Jesus to life and confirms that we are his children deposits in us. And with that spirit, we can light it on fire as an inferno, that we can walk with passion and holiness, or we can squelch him. And we can make it difficult for him to do what he wants to do in our lives by pursuing the wrong things. But make no mistake, you and I have victory over sin. Not because of us, but because of Jesus. Amen? I'm going to invite you. If you want to stand, you can stand. If you want to sit, you can sit. But the team is going to lead us in a response song today. And I just want you to hear, we're going to call on the need of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit this evening or this morning. That we need God's Spirit in us through us, that we need to invite him to convict us and then show us that we have the authority in him to destroy the power of sin in our lives and to walk in holiness. So Father, we come before you today and I pray, God, we would be reminded this morning just how powerful you can be through us. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place. Would you touch us and speak to us as we want to walk in confidence and closeness with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.